Welcome to Poetry Lectures, a series of lectures by poets, scholars, and educators presented by PoetryFoundation.org. In this program, we'll hear two poets read their poetry, Francisco Aragon and Brenda Cardenas. This program took place at the Art Institute of Chicago on a cold January evening in 2008. It was part of American Perspectives, a collaboration of the Art Institute, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and the Poetry Foundation. Here is Steve Young, Program Director of the Poetry Foundation, to introduce the first poet, Francisco Aragon. Thanks to all of you for coming out on a cold night. It's been said that poetry lights the soul, and lately this has proven to be true, literally. New studies have shown that those who have learned poetry by heart are much likelier to survive in adverse circumstances, like winter in Chicago. So here's hoping you leave here warmer and sturdier. Our four notable, notable poets will read in alphabetical order. It's serendipitous that Francisco Aragon should be first. Few poets have done more to bring attention to Latino writing or to help further the careers of Latino writers than Mr. Aragon. He is the author of Puerto del Sol from Bilingual Press and editor of The Wind Shifts, New Latino Poetry from the University of Arizona Press. His anthology publications include Sandra Gilbert's Inventions of Farewell, a Book of Elegies, American Diaspora, Poetry of Displacement, Deep Travel, Contemporary American Poets Abroad from Nine Bark Press, and Evensong, Contemporary American Poets on Spirituality, among other anthologies. His poems and translations have appeared in various print and web publications, including Beltway Poetry, Quarterly, Chain, Chelsea, Crab Orchard Review, Electronic Poetry Review, Jacket, and Ziziva. He is currently director of Letras Latinas, the literary program of the Institute for Latino Studies at Notre Dame, and curator of the Guild Complex's reading series, Palabra Prura, here in Chicago. Please welcome Francisco Aragon. Thank you for coming out. I want to say what an honor it is to be reading with, with my co-readers. I admire their work so much, and it's great to be sharing a stage with them. I'm going to read um, five poems. Three of them are poems from the anthology that Steve mentioned. And the first of these three uh, are, in, are in my book, Puerta del Sol. One of the themes in that book is how, how memory works for me. And one of the things about this poem is that it's how a piece of language, listening to a particular piece of language in a particular setting, um, made me think of a memory that I thought had long been buried. And there's an epigraph in French which goes a la belle étoile, and that's the piece of language that I heard in a French language classroom on the UC Berkeley campus many years ago that, that inspired this poem. The poem is titled Bridge Over Strawberry Creek. And one other thing I'll add is there's a reference to a town in Spain called Siches, which is on the Mediterranean coast about 20, 20 miles south of Barcelona. Bridge over Strawberry Creek. The path off the west crescent that turns briefly into the small 
wooden bridge, and above it a canopy of leaves, crossed and recrossed through the years, never pausing once for a peak over the edge, the surface blooming with concentric rings. It's beginning to rain, or water striders skating around a stagnant section of the creek. And when I chose my place that morning at the open window, redwoods framed against June's day blue, it wasn't the wind in the trees which, if I closed my eyes, had me on a balcony in Sitges those summer nights, listening to the Mediterranean breathe, but rather the fact of her voice, Madame Boucher's, meaning and sound meshing in a phrase, I'm 12, and lying on a bed of chipped wood, warm, snug in the bag, facing the stars, my head sifting the day. A morning hike, a dip in the Russian river before lunch, before the doorless stalls, the dank cement on the soles of my feet, the towels, the soap, the rich lather lacing his chest. Um, this next poem takes as its inspiration the dictionary. This next poem is called Poem with Citations from the OED, and um, I think it speaks for itself. First, vos because I recall the taste of beans wrapped in a corn tortilla. Someone brings it to me, retrieves what's left on the plate. The murmured vowels taking root, taking hold, me lengua materna. Much later learn another spelling, label the box where sounds produced, draw to the tongue, the teeth, the lips, the voice that is disposed to song and melody hath these properties, small, subtle, thick, clear, sharp, in 1398. But what of the deaf mute his winning shout, bingo, knocking me over. Huxley noted, voice may exist without speech and speech may exist without voice. The first time I spoke with my father was on the phone. So his was all I had to go on. That 
and what he'd say, things he'd hear inside. In Doctor's Dilemma, Shaw wrote, when my patients tell me they hear voices, I lock them up. The pitch, the tone, the range, a way of trying to know him. Now hers and his are in the pages of a book, Un Baile de Máscaras, by Sergio Ramirez, his characters echoing words, rhythms I heard until she died, hearing them as well for months after whenever I spoke with him, who hath not shared that calm so still and deep, the voiceless thought which would not speak but weep. That poem mentions um, Sergio Ramirez, who, was a, who is a Nicaraguan novelist, uh, whose work I've read quite a bit. And this next poem has as its springboard another Nicaraguan writer, Ernesto Cardenal, the poet. And this is a poem that's inspired by an experience I had when I was still in high school, living in, living in San Francisco and deciding to skip school one day. I'll mention that there's also a reference to uh, someone named Francisco Hernández de Córdoba, who is the Spanish explorer who discovered Nicaragua, and, and um, the Córdoba is the Nicaraguan currency. <clears throat> Ernesto Cardenal in Berkeley. Books in my backpack felt lighter walking down the stairs at 24th in Mission. The sky was clear and I wasn't heading for school. Above, at the station's mouth, a preacher wove Spanish while beyond him on the ground a whiskered man snored through the morning, his trousers soiled. A thought flickered, swayed Ruben Darío in Madrid. As I rode east along the floor of the bay, commuters dozed, later did crosswords going home, more of them boarding at Embarcadero, Montgomery, Powell. After the reading, I was a notebook being filled, mamá y papá juntos, a different life billowing inside me, a dusty street in Granada or León playing baseball, or picturing in class how Francisco Hernández de Córdoba is led across the plaza he himself had traced out with his sword, beheaded.
So one of the themes that might be emerging from the poems I'm reading tonight is my, my, my Nicaraguan background. And this, these, these next, this next poem is not in the anthology or in my book, but it's a poem that I wanted to read tonight because it makes, um, it's, a, it's a poem that demonstrates how armed conflict, which sadly seems to be the case today still, uh, can affect women and children. And the backdrop of this poem is um, the armed conflict that Nicaragua suffered uh, in the 80s, thanks to uh, our president in the 80s. And this poem is called Her Hair. Long and black, the streaks of gray, a flutter in the light wind as she prepares to tell her story at the federal building. Reaching into a tattered sack, she pulls out a doll, missing an eye, balding, singed face smudged with soot from the smoke the hut took in as her village was being shelled. Next, she retrieves what's left of a book, a few pages, the borders brown coming apart in her hands. Hesitant, she raises one, starts to speak. Por la mañana sube el sol y calienta el día. La tierra nos da donde vivir y qué comer. La vaca nos da leche para beber y hacer mantequilla. It's her daughter's reading lesson, the poem she recited to her the day they struck. In the morning, the sun rises and warms the day. The earth provides a place to live and what to eat. The cow gives us milk to drink and make butter with. Midway through, her voice begins to shake. Her words, like refugees exposed to the night, shiver, freeze, silence swallows us all. Her words, drifting casualties, gather and huddle in my throat. In the previous poem, I made reference to uh, Ruben Dario. <clears throat> and one of the projects I'm working on now is, in some ways, a translation project, but not entirely a translation project. I've been fashioning um, English versions of some of his poems. And I want to share with you uh, an excerpt of a poem that I've been working on that's inspired by a poem of his. And it's a poem that 
uses as its springboard the legend of St. Francis and the wolf, the old legend of this wolf that was terrorizing a village until St. Francis tames the wolf and everyone lives happily ever after in the, in the St. Francis legend. Uh, Ruben Darío takes that legend and gives it a twist at the end and in my mind makes, makes the story more complicated and, and more interesting. And so I'm going to read to you the fragment of my version, liberal version of that poem, starting from the time when the wolf is tamed and is living among the villagers, and then comes the twist. So this is from a longer piece, which I'm titling um, The Man and the Wolf after Ruben Darío. And I'll end with this. For a time, the wolf was at peace in that place. His ears would fill with psalms, his eyes with tears. He learned how to move with grace, to play pranks in the kitchen. When the man whispered his prayers, the wolf would pass his tongue across his sandals. Out into the street he'd go, through the valley, over hills, into homes where people gave him things to eat. To them, he seemed a docile hound. And then the man had to leave for a time. The sweet wolf, the good and gentle wolf, vanished and went back into the hills. The howling began again. Once more, people were filled with fear villages nearby with dread. Weapons and valor were useless, the rage never letting up as if something burned, smoldered inside the beast. The day the man returned, villagers sought him out, wept their complaints about the suffering inflicted. That infamous creature was at it again. A shadow passed over the man's face. He headed for the hills to track him down, that butcher of a wolf. He found him at his cave. In the name of the Father who sees it all, what have you got to say for yourself? As if in pain, the animal spoke, his mouth foaming, his eyes nearly swollen shut. Don't come any closer. Peace and calm were my masters these days. Even with you gone, I visited the village. When given scraps to eat, I chewed, swallowed in silence with gratitude but I began to see in many homes how people treat each other. Embers of greed, intolerance, lies, glowing subtly in countless faces. The weak were losers, the cruel winners, 
brother made war on brother. Male and female were like dog and bitch. And then they began to beat me, considered me weak for licking their hands and feet. I believed you. All of creation were family. Men, my siblings, oxen too, the stars, my sisters, my brothers, worms. But they picked on me, drove me away. Their laughing was like scalding water, reawakening a beast. Suddenly, a bad wolf is what I was, yet better than most of them. And so the struggle to survive took over, to defend myself, to feed myself, like the bear does, like the boar, who, in order to live, must kill. So let me remain here, wild and free, and you, my friend, back to your people, your good and tender deeds. The man didn't say a word. Deep was his gaze. Then he walked away, tears on his cheek. His heart, touched with desolation, offered a prayer only the wind in the forest could hear, carrying it skyward. Thank you very much. That was Francisco Aragon. Next up is Brenda Cardenas. To introduce her, here once again is Steve Young. Our next poet used to live here in Chicago in the Pilsen neighborhood and was on the staff at the Mexican Fine Arts Center. Brenda Cardenas is the author of From the Tongues of Brick and Stone from Mamatombo Press. Her first full-length collection, Boomerang, is forthcoming from Bilingual Press. She is co-editor of Between the Heart and the Land, Latino Poets in the Midwest from Abrazo Press. Her work has appeared in many publications, including Prairie Schooner, U.S. Latino Literature Today, Rattle, Learning by Heart, Contemporary American Poetry About School, and Under the Pomegranate Tree, the best new Latino erotica, among others. She holds an MFA from the University of Michigan and is currently assistant professor in English at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Please welcome Brenda Cardenas. Good evening. Um, thank you to um, Stephen and the Poetry Foundation for having this event. And I wanted to thank Francisco Aragon as well for publishing my work in, in the anthology that he just read from and um, for publishing, for being behind publishing my, my chapbook. Um, I'm going to read uh, three older poems and three newer poems, but not necessarily in that order. Uh, and I'm going to start with one um, from, from the chapbook. This is entitled Empty Spaces. She is a switchblade, afraid of the hint in a two-second glint that might spring you an arm's length away. I fear. 
She kisses close to shut the open gate of hunger, heavy-footed as history perched on her chest. Empty spaces. She never rests, stumbling through the clutter of language. She rummages cramped closets for her lost sounds, Ygrigas y erres, tumbling like marbles spilled in the attic. Spaces I fear. She mainlines white noise, a guest persistent as rain flooding her muted room. Spaces, she adds another hue to the walls crawling with orange and blue that zigzag the curves of her world to the ceiling. I fear empty spaces. She is reeling in a ravenous subjunctive that would doubt its own bones were it not for her grip slipping from your moist shoulders to the winter of metal bedposts. Spaces I empty. She grinds against you, minding only the bland blue sky that filters through the O'Keefe hollow of her pelvis. I empty fear. In this abyss, she comes, braying the silence away. The next piece is part of a, a cycle of poems that I wrote um, on different sounds in the Spanish language. And I basically was thinking about certain sounds in Spanish that, um, that, that are very unique in that language and that are very different from their English equivalents. Um, and was sort of meditating on the sounds and then writing what came to mind as, as I did that, as I chanted those sounds. And this is one of the four poems which is, is written in response to the sound ve which would be V in English, but in Spanish, the V uh, sometimes sounds more like a V sound and sometimes more like a B sound, depending on where the letter is in a word or a sentence. The poem is entitled Duracion de, and there's a diminishing line in Spanish, aquí vuelan aves arracimadas como uvas, which means here birds fly bunched up or clustered like grapes. Duración de Aquí vuelan aves arracimadas como uvas. Clusters perch over open-mouthed stones. The sculpted men arcing back, necks straining toward gods and vines, elbows raised in angles. Birds veil the starved sun. Aquí vuelan aves arracimadas. This is the bay in Cabeza de Vaca, sweating the salt of the bay in a migration that halts and hovers. Is it the glint of obsidian that lures vultures to the eye of earth, or jade of stone beasts that pull thieves up the open-legged vertices of our pyramids? We vanish. Aquí vuelan aves. In the wind-worn skull of the longhorn, in mutations making bowls of eye sockets, cups of its keratin, we carve hilts for our bowies from the open jaw we feed. Muscle is a buzzard's feast, our brazos his power to swarm. Aquí, the new sounds echo a chamber older than memory. Our vase fling their arms open and come back to us, bays. We have seen balas faster than veins of light etching the night sky. They fill our heads with ringing.
the next poem that, that I would like to read is a, a newer poem uh, that I wrote in response to a photograph. Uh, the photograph is in the George W. Brown Jr. Ojibwa Museum and Cultural Center at Lac du Flambeau Reservation in Wisconsin. And the photograph is simply of three men dressed in all of their finery, three Ojibwa men dressed in their finery, and their names are hand-lettered beneath them. The poem is entitled, Someone. One, someone traveling, sound of eating high in the sky. Traveling sound of the high sky in someone eating. Eating the sound in sky travel of someone high. Traveling in the sky, eating someone of high sound. Some sound in the sky eating, one traveling high. Sounding sky high, eating of the one in some travel. In sound sky of some high one eating, traveling. Sounding high of travel, so me eating in the one sky. Someone traveling, sound of eating, high in the sky. Someone. Two. Between someone traveling and young high in the sky stands sound of eating, leader he provides for someone. Three, someone traveling knows the camera aims to capture one tribe, draw you closer to note similar details in the regalia, canoe shape of their moccasins, order of bead, 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 bone, bead, bead, claw, bead, bead, bone, bead, 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 tooth, knows you will see the same stare from the same eyes that feel the same way about you. Four. I have no idea what someone traveling knows or doesn't know. No idea which maps he carries in his mind, his heart, his pocket. Five, for all we know, there is no bond. Not in the journey, not in the meal, not even under the sky. Different ages, heights, different ranks, tastes, moods, eyes, different cheekbones. For all we know, these are three separate Men, someone, six. If this were not 1895 but 1965, the camera and instant Polaroid, perhaps high in the sky, would tie their portrait to a helium balloon and send all three of them to the clouds where they would bleed together into the moist white puffs and spill like iridescent gills of rainbow trout or like muddied waters sprayed about by the wind or like a people or like someone traveling. Seven. The photographer, like the poet, has no musket, no glass beads, no spices, no pelts, no game, no land, no fishing rights, no canoe, no new motorboat, no full bingo card, no casino, no first treaty torn and taped, no gasoline, no reservation, nothing to trade in upturned hands. For this, high in the sky doesn't give a damn. For this, he will give the camera his most defiant, most blissful smile. For this, he will give the camera his best shot. Eight, sound of laughter, someone deep inside the earth poking fun at the black box about to devour someone's spirit. Can you hear the high sounds of your own eating? Nine, 
I mean someone traveling, sound of eating, high in the sky. These are translations traveling of their names eating on a paper sky. These are their names. 10, someone traveling, sound of eating, high in the sky. Uh, the next poem is a, a love poem. And this poem is entitled, If, for Roberto. Cobalt dusk, icicles break free from our collarbones, ribs, pelvic branches, perfect pearls of light. Bathe me in fresh water eyes. When the doubt in the if that is this noun floods your alone, sit in the radiator's steam and hiss, allow it to give you your breath, then pour it out the window. Melt my snow so I don't have to shovel ifs. No turn in the woods is wrong when you follow the tracks of something that follows you. Links end to beginning, infinity, in fin it swims forever. Half empty, half empathy, if is a tender conjunction. You tell me to trust the unfinished clauses spilling from the highest branches into my lap. They are not patterns, they are snowflakes. They are not feathers, they are flight. I tell you to trust the unfinished nest they fall from in the spring that has not yet arrived. There is nothing arbitrary about it. That circle of twigs and litter, rinds, hair, and apple blossoms kissed like some ancient glyph by the sun. And I have uh, two more poems. This one is entitled Song, and it was also published in, in the Windshifts anthology. You shout my name from beyond my dreams, beyond the picture window of this Rosarito beach house. Rushing from bed to shore, I glimpse their backs volcanoes rising out of the sea. Your back a blue-black silhouette, feet wet with the wash of morning waves. Fountains spring from mammal mines, my hands lifting a splash of sand. I'm on my knees, toes finding a cool prayer beneath them, fingers pressing sea foam to my temples while you open arms wide as a generation. Raise them to a compass point, dive. If you could reach them, you would ride their fins under the horizon, then surf the crash of waves left in their wake. And if I could grasp my own fear, I'd drown it. Leave it breathless and blue as this ocean, as the brilliant backs of whales surfacing for air. And I would like to close with um, a poem that actually was on the Poetry Foundation website. Um, and so in celebration of that, I'd like to close with this poem. Uh, this poem, I was, I was challenged um, by someone to write a poem in Old English alliterative verse. And I said, gee, how will I make that suit my context? Um, and I happened to Right at that same time, I happened to go to see an installation by Guillermo Gomez Peña and Roberto Cifuentes that was happening at the, that was, be, uh, you know, 
on at the uh, Detroit Institute of Arts at the time. They were performing within the installation. So it was a performance and a, an installation. And it was called the Temple of Confessions. So this is report from the Temple of Confessions in old Chicano English. Se cruzan canyons in el templo de confessions. Language lies across the barbed lines, piles of its limbs pierced y pinchados. Risky recordings reveal what we think of the other offering his objectified body to the river rats who ride his wet back, the coro de coyotes who crave his flesh, the way-faced who whisper their sin in his ear, the translators who trap and trade his tongue, la raza who receive him, la raza who repel him. In this chamber, the chill of chicken flesh, pollito mojado, picoso y picado, the black body bag of the repatriated. Here, the distorted words of debutantes y do-gooders, of no-no-betters y neo-Nazis, of Beowulfs and other born-again beasts, of sandaled sombreros sleeping under cacti, of Machiavellian mentes y mouths, of anthropological auto-ethnography, of pretend pachucas peeling their layers, of preachers and poets with puckered lips, of the misused multicultural machinery of the Hispanic hodgepodge hiding their indio, of the Quetzalcoatl concealing their conqueror, de la migra meando marking its turf. Here, the hemistitched hemispheres blend, a vacuum of voices absorbed in the velvet paintings of slick y sexy santos of the Aztec icon at the altar of Aslan, tripping and turning transvestite warrior of the cyber cholo stripping down Simon, the vato loco's liquid eye lures us over borders, their blurred tumbling barriers calling us to come, stare into the cage, jaula de joda aquí juntándonos, the table turned and tacked to the wall, lit with votive licking our luscious breakfast bowl of cucarachas on their backs, squirming to free their feet and fly. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Brenda Cardenas. She and Francisco Aragon were two of the four Latino poets speaking at the Art Institute of Chicago on January 24, 2008. The program was part of American Perspectives, a collaboration of the Art Institute, the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, and the Poetry Foundation. This program continues with Blas Falconer and Gina Franco on the next Poetry Lectures podcast. You can read more about Francisco Aragon and Brenda Cardenas and a selection of their poems at poetryfoundation.org. Also at the Poetry Foundation website, you'll find articles by and about poets, an online archive of more than 10,000 poems, the Poetry Learning Lab, the Harriet blog about poetry, the complete back issues of Poetry Magazine, and other audio programs to download. I'm Ed Herman. Thanks for listening to Poetry Lectures from PoetryFoundation.org.